This is The UU Perspective with your host, Sharon Merrill. This is episode number 23 of the UU Perspective podcast, where you can hear weekly interviews from Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists that are changing the world through the stand they take on issues facing our world today, and who facilitate making a difference in the communities around them. Whether you're already a member or a seeker exploring the faith, there is something here for everyone. From personal spiritual growth to inspiration that impacts the community, you'll be opened up to the awesome possibilities. So sit back and relax and enjoy the conversations you're about to hear. Today, you're going to hear from Darlene Pagano and Yarlin Daniels. They are on staff at the organization Race Forward, the Center for Racial Justice Innovation. And they're going to tell you more about Race Forward and what they have to offer. It's been around for over 30 years, and they advance racial justice through research, media, and practice. So they have a lot of great information. If you go to raceforward.org, you'll see they'll have some videos information about their leadership institute and for the media. If you are speaking to the media, what language would you need to use? What type of wording do you need to use that's going to be appropriate? So you'll find a lot of that information inside of such things as the race reporting guide. So be sure to check out their website and also they have a newsletter called Color Lines. And you can subscribe to that. And again, that will be at raceforward.org. And we'll have those links in the show notes. All right. So here we go. So here's Yarland and Darlene. So welcome, Yarland and Darlene. And I'm so happy to have you here today. And I just want to take a moment and we'll do a couple introductions. And Darlene, let me have you start by telling us what your involvement in the UU community is inside of Race Forward. My Unitarian Universalist experience goes back about 15, 16 years. I'm not a, I'm not a born to it, UU. And uh, I am a member of an emerging congregation in Alameda, California, which is right up against uh, Oakland, the Oakland city line. I have, as a charter member of an emerging congregation, that means I've done everything, including, you know, I've done my board duty, I've been the president of the board, and since the beginning I've been a worship leader in our congregation. In uh, Race Forward, I started out uh, nine and a half years ago as uh, an assistant, as an associate in the business office, and uh, developed a larger and larger sort of portfolio within the organization, and now I am the HR manager for the national organization, as well as the operations manager in the Oakland uh, for the Oakland office. How did you find Race Forward? A friend of mine knew I was job searching, and she uh, was the contract bookkeeper. Uh, she knew my lifelong uh, work history. I've been very privileged to always, in my adult working life, be able to work in political and movement organizations, and she knew it was a good fit, and she recommended me, and I got called in and did a few interviews and was accepted uh, in the business office in the organization. Oh, nice. All right, great. And Yarlin, go ahead and introduce yourself. 
My name is Yarlin Daniels. I am I'm not a, a UU, but at Race Forward, I am the Director of Marketing and Communications with the organization. And what does that entail for you? That entails something that's really unique and special for a nonprofit in general and also a racial justice organization. And it means developing a brand. A brand meaning what do people think about when they hear of Race Forward? How do we communicate to the world all of the things that we are doing to address systemic racism? And so it's something that is this idea of having a brand involved in, in, in your work is something that's really relatively new in the nonprofit sector, and I'm really excited to be a part of it. Mm, that's great. And tell us then what exactly is Race Forward? Race Forward is a racial justice organization, and we are almost 35 years old, so we have been engaged in this work for a long time. And I think the easiest way to describe us is we have three main areas of work. We have media, and in our media work, we are the publisher of Color Lines. Color Lines is a daily news site where we focus on racial issues related to people of, of all racial backgrounds, all people, communities of color. And we have a research division or department, and that is based out of Oakland. And we have a team of people who produce amazing research reports. One recent one is moving the race conversation forward where we analyze how the media across the country talks about race and what are some ways that they can improve it. And then we have a practice part of our organization, and that is where we engage in training people and organizations across the country in talking about and finding solutions to systemic racism. Now, of course, as a part of our practice work, we also put on every two years the largest multiracial conference in the country, which is called Facing Race. When you're talking about training, what kind of training is that for? I mean, what, how can people get involved in that? Well, our trainings are called Racial Justice Leadership Institutes, and the first thing that they all they need to do is go to raceforward.org to find out more about our training. But the trainings are held across the country, so they're more than likely someone can find one near them um, at one time or another. But these trainings are really important. And again, the trainings are in line with our organizational philosophies, and that is taking the focus away from individual acts of racism and helping people identify systemic factors and then finding ways to interrupt those factors of systemic racism that really are responsible for a lot of the uh, problems that we see. They're being able to identify the language to use, and then they are able to have ways of dealing with or working with other people out in the world then, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So the, our trainings, they take place in a couple of different forms. So a, an individual can also, you know, attend the trainings, but some of these trainings happen because organizations have said we would like to have training or city governments 
have said, we would like to have a training on systemic racism. So that's exactly what it does. You are 100% right, sure. Okay, great. Now, what has, over the years since you've been with them, what's been the impact that you have seen in the group? One of the biggest changes that I think, um, a big change, I guess I would say, is we led a campaign called Drop the I-Word. And drop the I-Word is a very demeaning term, illegal, used to describe undocumented residents. And because we have seen so much research that shows how acts of violence against undocumented individuals increase with the subsequent use of the word illegal, and because no human being is illegal, the level of dignity of a human being demands that they be referred to in a different way. So what we were successful in doing, Sharon, is um, getting the Associated Press and all of the hundreds of outlets that they influence to not use the word illegal when referring to undocumented individuals. And that, that is a really big deal. And so this idea that we can change the narrative and restore the dignity in humans by how we talk about people and how we talk to people is a really important way to address systemic racism. And that's a huge win um, that I would say. Now, it's not a win that means we've done it and now we can move on. We still have to remind people that illegal is not a way that we refer to other human beings. But a large part of that work has been done, and that's because of Race Forward. Mm-hmm. Right. So let me pose a question to you, Darlene. Tell us what you have seen as the the biggest challenge inside of the organization. Well, the level or the, the, the significance of the issues that we're dealing with. Um, Yarland mentioned that we're almost 35 years old, uh, and we are at a, one of our largest staffing levels right now with 30 people, but there you go, 30 people and the struggle for racial equity and justice in, in the United States. So, you know, that is the, the, the struggle that we have to keep focused because we could be pulled in hundreds of different directions to keep our focus and to keep our, you know, uh, it's, it's much more than morale, but taking care of ourselves such that we can do our best and work at our highest levels in, uh, in the face of the issues coming at us. What are the main issues right now? Well, right now we're in this amazing position of the general public really trying to get a grip on a discussion around inequality and equity in racial issues in the United States for very much in the forefront is the issue of our justice system and uh, the, the treatment of people of color within the justice system and in the horrific situations 
of murders of people of color right now within the racial within the U.S. justice system. This is a focus that uh, the general public wants to wants to take and is turning somewhat to us uh, for language and understanding the situation as as the term sort of is out there in the world now. How this? What is the frame of this issue, and uh, how can we think about it clearly? And what is to be done? Okay, what is it that the main message that you're putting out there for people around this? Then, well, around this issue is that the racism is a system that um, unfairly or in unequally impacts the lives of people of color. We see it in the news as individual actions, as individual um, biases, but in fact, all of those actors didn't come to make those decisions, those decisions of such horrible consequence, all by themselves, you know, the bad apple theory of, of racism, but in fact, it's a system of how people are valued, um, how people are assessed in the world, and then the differentiations in the treatment of different groups of people. So trying to help people understand it's not the lone wolf, the bad apple, the um, mental uh, health issue. The tool that we want to give people is the understanding that these problems are part of a system of racism. And at the moment, we are having this discussion, thankfully, about the justice system as part of that overall um, system of racism. So the justice system is one, only one institution that upholds the system of racism. Darlene? And I guess I would like I, I would like to co-sign what Darlene said and add a couple of things to that. The major message that we at Race Forward are putting into the world is that impact is much more important than intent. Too often when policies are enacted and when decisions are made, and even when we see behaviors on an individual level, we focus so much on, well, whether it was intentional or not. And it really isn't about intent as much as it is the impact that policies, rules have on communities of color. The other thing that I would add to what Darlene said and what makes Race Forward very, very unique is for us, racism is not an issue of black or white. At Race Forward, we are deeply engaged in and committed to issues related to Native Americans, Hispanics, um, immigrants into this country also South Asians, all types of people, because the system of white supremacy does not confine itself to only black people. 
We are very, very clear about that. And so when, different, when all people who make up communities of color understand that while the impact on them of racism may look a little differently, while it may look different, the result is the same. The result of inequitable treatment is the same. Mm-hmm. And we also, we can't refer to things as minority majority anymore either, right? Oh my goodness. You don't need to say, I have to tell you, so just yesterday I was on Twitter and a political candidate who shall remain nameless has a hashtag minorities for whatever the person's name is. And I responded and I said, you have to know that that's not acceptable. And the reason that we don't want to use that term, and that's uh, something that we discussed in the race reporting guide, is because number one, the entire, the term minority itself denotes that you are less than, right? So that's that's the first part. The second part is it's just not true. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not a numerical reality. So we really want to have language that is honest and that is uplifting and that recognizes the value and the dignity of all people. And minority is one of those terms that does not do it. <laughs> right. All right. So can can you say what, has been uh, one of the the biggest impacts that you've seen that Race Forward has had? Well, we were very um, significant in in the understanding and bringing out the issue of what happens in the deportation system in this country, what happens to families when uh, someone who is a parent, is picked up uh, for deportation, what happens to those children. And that led also led us into understanding the, the entire um, child protection fostering uh, system for children who are themselves American citizens of parents who are not American citizens. That was a report that we put out that was called Shattered Families, it made a big wave in the media as an issue that had been almost entirely unrecognized, and it made it to the White House as an understanding um, in the development of an immigration reform policy and this whole uh, system of the, the deportation system, the, the special courts for deportation, the private prisons for deportation, and then what is or mostly is not handled in terms of the children who become abandoned when a parent is picked up and put in prison in in some of these deportation situations. So that Shattered Families report was very important to the whole issue of immigration and family status and our policy in this country. And and I would add to what Darlene said. So as I mentioned earlier, there is media, research and, and and practice and training, if you will, within Race Forward. So 
it's important, I think, to understand, and what we want people to understand about Race Forward is our research is complemented with tools and solutions. And let me give you one example. So one of the tools and solutions that we have worked to put into place is a retail equity, uh, I'm sorry, uh, racial, racial equity impact assessment. And what this does is it allows policymakers prior to enacting legislation and even for a school board prior to making decisions they can utilize this tool to understand what will be the impact on certain communities and how can we minimize and eliminate disparities that impact communities of color. So yes, we do amazing research, but tools like racial equity impact assessment tools like the race reporting guide are all ways to help us address systemic racism and to really reframe the conversation that we have on race. You know, Sharon, you asked earlier, and I wanted to mention this, and I almost forgot, the biggest challenge that we currently face in our work. In my mind, Darlene is exactly right. The, the challenges we are being, you know, the barrage of media reports where communities of color are being um, subjected to race, racial inequity is, is never ending. But the challenge is to make sure that we do not allow racial fatigue to take root in this country. Because once people become fatigued, they stop and, and stop talking about it and stop looking for solutions, then we can't move forward. So one of the ways then to prevent the kind of racial fatigue is to give people tools to talk about it. And the other way that we do that is we focus on what's called implicit bias. And implicit bias says, hey, look, we all have biases, blacks, whites, Hispanic, Native American, we all have biases, and having those biases does not make us a bad person. So we all have them, and now we have to then develop the tools to address those implicit biases. Are you, is it like an ever-changing thing when you're thinking of the, you know, the tools and to avoid the fatigue? It seems like you have to revisit this and always create new tools to keep the momentum going. Well, I don't think we have to keep the momentum going. I think our society does it all on its own. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I think Darlene and I would both be okay if we found one day that we were out of work because there was just no systemic racism. Right. <laughs> so, um, but I think, though, what Darlene said about the self-care is important, 
So it's about developing new tools, but unfortunately the problem, the problem hasn't changed, right? The problem simply, you know, it, 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 it just manifests itself in different ways, but the root of it is, is the same. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Sharon, in terms of always new tools, it's just that we continually learn how to help people talk about, look at, and understand systems of racism. Our impacts toolkit that Yarman was just speaking about, that started out as a simple project of a report card that we helped people in different states do about their legislatures. At the end of every legislative period, we would help um, groups issue a report card on how their legislators did in that session in terms of addressing issues specific to people of color. Well, that was an after-the-fact tool, even though it was highly effective. There was a lot of response from legislators about improving their status on those report cards. But what we have now developed with the assessment tool is a way for legislators, as Yarlin said, to look at, uh, well, probably their staff, to look at the impacts and the outcomes and the unintended consequences of the uh, legislation that they're working on in its current form and figure out ahead of time how to have better outcomes. So the after the fact uh, tool that we developed has become more sophisticated and more useful and is now a policy tool that community organizations can use with their legislators in the in the building of uh, legislation so that they're not protesting the outcomes uh, after the fact, but are in there helping build good outcomes at the moment. So that's a way in which we didn't come up necessarily with a whole new tool. We all learned from the work that we had done and we learned to bring it to a different uh, level. And it's the same way that our organization has tried and, and has had some success in opening up the discussion of racism itself and helping people understand that racism is not entirely or even uh, most significantly an issue of internalized oppression or personal, interpersonal actions. We've helped uh, illuminate uh, and get explicit about how institutions themselves have racist outcomes to, to their work, and those institutions altogether create the system of racism in this country. So it can be used, even when you're talking about that tool, f- from the federal down to the city level at, at all levels, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we, we had some impact at the federal level um, with the Shattered Family Reports, but our, um, our assessment tools are used at the school board and the local uh, level and often in a bureaucratic level, like, for instance, uh, the local health department working on outcomes. So, yes, it is for grassroots organizations to use at the grassroots level um, very, very effectively. When people or organizations are using these tools, 
who, where is the biggest impact? Do you think it's more at the city level or higher up? What have you seen? So, you know what, honestly, Sharon, I think it's really, really difficult to answer that question. And here's why. Mm-hmm. We have a very, 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 very close relationship with grassroots organizations. And that is how we were formed. And that's, that's, by, that's by design. And when grassroots organizations use these tools, they then are able to have an impact that sometimes happens at the city level, sometimes state, and sometimes at the national level. We do know that some of the changes as it relates to immigration happened at the federal level because of the work that we did. But then we also know that some changes within the city of Minneapolis and in their school board happened because of the work that we did. We know that we've done training with cities and and police force, the city and a police force in a particular locality and changes have been made. So it's really varies and I we think that's good. Yeah. How does it get introduced? Like how are people getting this the tools and getting informed about that? they go to our website. So one of the things that we are really proud of is the tools that we have are free. They are free and they are available. And so we have found that people who are committed to racial justice, this is a really small community and people share information. And so they do know about the racial equity impact assessment that we have. And so, for example, if you as an individual had a concern that was happening within your local school district, there is nothing preventing you from being empowered, going to raceforward.org, downloading the toolkit, taking it to your school board meeting and saying, I think that we need to understand a priori how our decisions are impacting communities of color. Let's use this impact assessment. That sounds good. I like that. What have you seen, Darlene, being there longer? What have you seen has been the biggest change over the years? I think that uh, Race Forward went through a very frank evaluation of what we could do. We started out, as Yaronis said, as a as an activist organization or an an organization of activists, and we worked from that perspective. And at a, a number of points over the years, we have said that our strengths uh, are what we need to focus on because that is what we can offer people who are our constituency, and our constituency is people committed to racial justice and racial equity in this country. So working for that group, uh, we have to be honest with ourselves as to where are our strengths and how do we keep focused on that? Because when you have passionate, committed people who are working in the face of such large problems, you know, your heart is big and you want to do everything. Uh, That, you know, that's true of many, many people. I'm not just saying the 30 people currently working with us. Your heart is big. The problem is huge. 
How do you remember to keep focused on your strengths? Our job is to support activism in this country, and we do it with our trainings, our uh, fundamental research, and our uh, constant uh, journalism, information sharing. And that is, that is a change that's happened over time. We've had to temper our idealism with understanding that we are a very strong group of people, and how do we maximize that? And it's like being a UU. I mean, how many congregations are there where, you know, 30, 30 movements are represented in the congregation? And how does the congregation focus its strength to be effective, not just reactionary? All right, exactly. Uh, we're about so many different things all at the same time. <laughs> right, because we care about so many things. We believe we we believe it's a pillar of our faith. Um, you know, there's worship, there's discernment, and there's social justice. It's like it's our theology. So, uh, you know, it's been a good learning experience for me being at Race Forward to look at uh, the, I mean, as I say, I'm, I'm part of an emerging congregation, and our social justice action is, constant, but it's the issue is how effective do you want to be? All right. Yarlin, can you tell us a little bit about the Clocking In site? Absolutely. Clocking In is our latest research project, and it is really, we believe it's groundbreaking. It's groundbreaking because it focuses on three sectors. It focuses on retail, restaurants, and domestic workers, and how workers in these sectors are systemically systemically um, facing employment discrimination in the sense that these, area, these sectors are concentrated primarily of women and or people of color. However, the level of pay, the level of benefits, scheduling, etc., makes it very, very difficult and really denies the basic fairness um, that we have come to expect in the society to those workers. So what Clocking In is is a web-based tool that allows workers, activists, and consumers to go onto the site to access census data to see who makes up the workers in these industries. It allows one to hear stories out of the mouths of these, of actual people who are working in these industries and hear what they are experiencing. And then most importantly, it provides solutions. Solutions if you are a worker, how you might organize. If you are a consumer, how you might support campaigns that are going on. And so we have had some really good initial favorable reaction to clocking in, and we're excited about it. So I noticed, because I was looking at it and trying it out, and you go through and you answer some questions as an employee, right? 
Right, right. So the idea is one of the, you know, the old adage of, you know, you, you need to walk a mile in a person's moccasins to really understand what they're experiencing. That's really what we're doing. And so to understand what the issues a woman or a woman of color or a person of color is facing in the restaurant industry, um, the person who goes onto the website is presented with some real-life scenarios, and, and then they answer, they answer how they would solve the very difficult problems and have to make these very difficult choices. And then once you go through the tool and you make some of those choices, you then are better equipped to understand that these are not people who, unlike the, the, the narrative that we have, these are not people who are lazy. These are not people who just don't want to work. These are people who are having to make some very, very difficult and quite frankly, unfair choices. Okay, great. All right. And now that, and that's available on the, is that available right at the raceforward.org site? It is raceforward.org slash clocking in, or you can just go to raceforward.org. Okay. And we'll also have that link in the show notes too. So also tell us about the race reporting guide and what we can do with that. You use as we read, we discuss, we research, the race reporting guide is an excellent tool to think about the way Race Forward thinks about racial justice even though we're not the reporters, but it's a format I think that would work well for a lot of UUs because it's analytic as well as graphic examples of using the language. And that's something a lot of UUs would be comfortable with. You know, I I think it's important to note that that guide, we, I mean, of course the primary audience is for journalists, but we firmly believe that anyone can who is interested in racial justice can benefit from using that guide because if we are going to have productive and fruitful conversations, then we have to first be armed with the tools for how do we have them, even if we're not talking to media, but if we're talking with our neighbor. And I think that that's a really good step for anyone. All right. And Darlene, as a UU, would you answer this question? And it is, how is Unitarian Universalism as a religious denomination uniquely positioned to serve and impact society? Um, Unitarian Universalists are uniquely positioned to be leaders uh, in social justice movements uh, for all other faith communities as well. We can stand up and step up to uh, to both lend our voices as as a faith community, but also help with the the connections. Why uh, churches and other um, faith groups would be involved and interested in the um, issue at hand? We are built, uh, we identify ourselves as folks who stand up for social justice, social equity, 
and uh, we can just be that model in in all of North America, where where we are um, most populous, and um, you know, and and stand up early. That's also very important uh, to uh, to not wait uh, wait for it to be a better time or a better situation. We come from two uh, denominations, which each have spectacular histories of being on the correct side of ju- for justice, and uh, and it just keeps growing and growing and becoming more and more central to our denomination, our our religious movement, and uh, we can help all other denominations and religious organizations do the same. And we can always be there in the forefront to to speak to injustice as say, uh, saying that faith groups say you're on the wrong side of the line here. All right. Very nice. And do either or both of you have a favorite quote that you would like to share with us? Well, I just was at General Assembly, and uh, I saw the. I went to the Ware lecture and listened to Cornell West. My favorite quotes um, are on a huge playlist. They keep, you know, new ones come to the top all the time. Uh, but what Cornell West said that I've really been mulling over since General Assembly is that justice is what love looks like in public. And uh, I just realized I am all for public demonstrations of love. So that's my, that's my current. All right. Nice. Yarlin, do you have one? Or? So my favorite quote is one by MLK, and it's actually on the wall in Washington, D.C. that has several of his quotes. And it is, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And that, you know, that quote is pretty self-explanatory, and, and it means so much to me because it reminds us that it's really easy to stand with the fight after the fight has been won. It's <laughs> so easy to do that. But it's during the, it's, it's when the decision hasn't been made, when people haven't all shifted to one side or another. It, it, that's where it really matters. And I guess the other, I have to have, I have another one, and I'm not going to get it exactly right, but it's th- this idea, and it's, it's a Desmond Tutu quote, and both of you are going are gonna to know exactly what I'm saying. And it's, if you are silent, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. And it is not enough for good people to remain silent in the face of injustice. It's just not enough, right? You, you, don't, get to, you, don't, you don't get to just kind of silence is not an option, or it is an option, but people have to recognize that when they choose silence, they have made a decision, and that decision is to side with the oppressor. So we need people to speak up. All right. Very good. Well, Thanks to uh, both of you for being with me today and sharing everything about Race Ford. Very, very enlightening and educational and 
everybody be sure to visit the raceforward.org website. Lots of great information there. And Sharon, let me Sharon, let me add that there's a lot of enjoyment if you go to that website. I'd especially um, look at um, a wonderful short um, videos, very enjoyable with our own Jay Smooth and our own video team making them. Uh, you users are going to love it because it gives you. Um, it gives you language, and if there's one thing we like, it's being able to express ourselves well. So um, look at an enjoyable um, series of videos that you will want to share with the youth in your congregation as well. So it's systemic racism videos. Oh, great, great. That, that made me think, can we, do we use these during like the Beloved Conversations workshops and stuff? Do you know? Absolutely. They're very brief and... You know, they they will just lead off um, each session um, very well. Okay, great. Good information to know. Perfect. Well, thank you to, to both of you. Thanks for listening to the UU Perspective podcast. And I really appreciate everyone who listens. And a shout out this week to Fatima Kaba, Spirit of Life UU, CJ Cascioda, Courtney Niederkorn, uh, Cynthia Bradley, and also Adrian McCord and Adam Gonerman. Hey guys, leave me a message on SpeakPike that is on our website, uuperspective.com. It's just a recording, 90 seconds, record a little voicemail. Let us know what you think, who you'd like to hear. Really would love to hear from you. So until next time, have a great week and we'll see you then. (music) 